and I think so, you know, some some books and stories are like that. Uh, they 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 come when they're ready, and I believe in that as a reader as well. I think we often find the books we're meant to read at the time we're meant to read them. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. In this episode, I talk with Sophie Blackle, the two-time Caldecott medal-winning illustrator of over 40 books, including The Baby Tree, Hello Lighthouse, Finding Winnie, which was written by Lindsay Matic, A Voyage in the Clouds, written by Matthew Olshin, Pecan Pie Baby, written by Jacqueline Woodson, Big Red Lollipop, written by Roxana Khan, and the Ivy and Bean series that is written by Annie Barrows. Her many honors include a BCCB Blue Ribbon, Ezra Jack Keats New Illustrator Award, Society of Illustrators Founders Award, and Charlotte Zelotto Honor. Sophie's art has also been part of the New York City MTA's Arts of Transit program. Today, we're going to talk about many amazing things, including her new creative retreat for the children's book community, Milkwood Farm. We'll also talk about her artwork for two-time Newbery medalist Kate DiCamillo's The Beatrice Prophecy. This book is amazing. We're also adding a new feature to the podcast in which our community gets to join in the fun and ask Sophie questions. But to kick things off, we're focusing on her latest solo picture book, Negative Cat. Here's the synopsis. Sophie Blackle spins a winning tale about Max, a feline whose behavior doesn't win any raves, except from the boy who believes in him and finds a way to turn a negative into a positive. When a boy is finally allowed to get a cat, he has no doubts about which one to bring home from the shelter. But Max the cat isn't quite what the family expected. He shuns the toy mouse, couldn't care less about the hand-knitted sweater, and spends most of his time facing the wall. One by one, the family gives up on Max. But the boy loves his negative cat so much. He'll do anything to keep him, even the thing he dreads most. Practicing his reading which, as it turns out, makes everything positive. Well, hello, Sophie. Welcome to the Growing Readers Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today about negative cats and uh, to be honest, there are so many questions I have for you. So we could talk about a, a gazillion of your books, but uh, we'll definitely focus on the negative cat. And I also want to talk to you about the Beatrice Prophecy by Kate DiCamillo that you have created the gorgeous artwork for. And we're also all dying to know about Milkwood Farm. So welcome. Thank you, Bianca. It's, uh, it's so lovely to talk to you again. It's been a little while. Yeah, it has. To be honest, I feel like I've been following you on Instagram and I love how much you sort of share in there. You give us little sneak peeks of your life and I, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but I, I feel like it, I feel like you wear your, like people say you wear your heart on your sleeve. I feel like you wear your heart on your Instagram feed because it feels, <laughs> it feels really honest to me because everybody's had kind of a rough, uh, a rough year and a half, you know, obviously because of COVID, but you know, you, you, you're real, you share your ups and your downs. And I know that you've had loss and you've had lots of love and you share the connections that you make and your creativity. And you also share things about sweet potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh well thank you that's a very nice thing to say I you know like a lot of people I think I'm still wrestling with social media and and trying to figure out how exactly to do it uh because it can be all-consuming and of course like everybody what we see and what we choose to present on social media is not 
the full story and not our full lives. And it would be weird if it were. Uh, so there's a lot of editing that goes on. And I don't show you um, the, 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 the shameful cascading piles of paper on my desk. Because, <laughs> you know, that, that, that whole side of being a professional person uh, it just sort of slipped me by. Um, so, so there are so many parts of my life that I choose very carefully not to show people uh, for, for your own benefit, because you really wouldn't want to see it. But I hope that the things that I do show are, are honest. So thank you for, for saying that. Oh, you're welcome. And so I just, before we do talk about Negative Cat, um, and you can tell me if I pronounce this name wrong. I, I know people are wondering um, how Philip and is it Shelmerdine? <laughs> Shelmadin, Shelmadin, who uh, the name is is taken uh, from Virginia Woolf's Orlando. Uh, Orlando, it's a the spoiler alert falls falls in love many many times throughout the course of the book, but ultimately um, Orlando's great love is Shelmadin, which is happens uh, right towards the end of the book, and it's such a perfect love story that I just lifted, lifted that, um, lifted Shelmadine uh, completely from, from Orlando, which is one of my favorite books. I love it. So Philip and Shelmadine, for anyone that don't know, you can go to Sophie's Instagram feed. Uh, she has um, some lovely sweet potatoes that are married. And um, I, I believe they're moving on to the next phase of family life. Is that correct? Yes, they they. So very, very quickly, early in uh, the shelter at home lockdown quarantine part of the pandemic last April, I guess, 2020, when we were all just wondering what on earth was happening to the world and we couldn't go out. I went, like many people, to do a big shop on my own at the supermarket and there was one sweet potato left in the store. And it was a time where I found social media to be actually a lifeline of sorts. It was how we could all connect and share our experiences. And I started to tell the story of the sweet potato, who I named Philip, because I have uh, a child who is gender fluid and my father was really wrestling with the they, them pronouns, which Olive uses. And so I decided to make Philip um, also a, a sweet potato who uses they, them pronouns as a way of, of telling the story and using them in context. And um, hopefully for other people who find that just a little bit new and a little bit confusing to, um, to put in a sentence sometimes that it, that it might also be helpful for them. So that was how it started. And it became a daily post of of uh, building this entire story around Philip the sweet potato and and um, making them clothes and, and and a bed and then they had a love interest and as you said eventually a wedding and it was amazing to me how it took on a life of its own this story and for the wedding I invited people on Instagram to uh, to, to show up with their potentially their own wedding guests uh, perhaps from the vegetable drawer in their refrigerator or the fruit bowl and make wedding outfits for them. And the photographs were incredible. I think I still have some on my uh, Instagram highlights, but they came from all over the world. And it was clearly something we all needed to do in that particular moment was to make clothes for our vegetables. Who knew? Um, but uh, it is going to be a book. You're the first person to know. Oh my uh, gosh, that's for, amazing. Also the, the publishers who are, <laughs> who are going to make this book, which are um, Abrams. Uh, so that's that's a fun thing. So so Philip will live live on. Well, then we don't want any spoilers. So we, we won't ask yes. any more questions. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So you like you're just your creativity shines and, and I love that. And it's so inspiring. And so let's talk about negative cat because mm. you know again it's it's a such a creative story in in the sense that I think readers can take different things away from it. Obviously the children's book review is all about growing readers and it's finding that next best book that's going to inspire a kid to to keep on reading. And negative cat actually I love it because there's a theme in there that there's a struggling reader, a boy who's a struggling reader. And towards the end of it, 
you know, it, it just, it, there's an encouraging message of reading and I don't want to tell everybody about it. I want you to tell everybody about Negative <laughs> Cat and, and why they're going to love it. Oh, okay. So talking about um, struggling with reading, I was struggling with writing this book and I came up with the idea years and years and years ago. And it took, I, I think it took about 10 or even 11 years for this book to gestate and finally uh, come come into the world as, as a fully formed uh, story. And part of it was we, we adopted a cat, a kitten from a shelter, and it was when my kids were little, and we named her Claudia after the character from The Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basley, Frank Weiler, which is a favorite book of, of mine as a kid. And my children loved it as well. One of those joys of sharing books that you loved with your own children, which I, is, uh, or, or somebody else's children, but that passing down of beloved books is, um, is a, one of the joys of life, I think. Anyway, uh, we named her Claudia and she grew into what my son came to <laughs> refer to as a negative cat. Claudia was was not the kind of cat who greets you when you come home by rubbing against your legs and purring and jumps into your lap and and those other things that that other people's cats do. No, Claudia was the kind of cat who when you came home she would look at you over her shoulder and just go eh and, and kind of grimace really and continue staring at the wall she she would eat the flowers out of the vase she would lie on top of the very thing that you were trying to read or work on she would um demand to be fed and then throw up in the in the vestibule and then demand to be fed again and complain that uh, that she was neglected and hungry and um she she was a lot of work with for very little reward but we we loved her nonetheless especially the kids and especially my son Eggie who loved her so much he would try and pat her and she would scratch him and he would he was just he would not give up it was this true unconditional love and eventually, um, eventually she did become a sweet cat. But anyway, I've, I had this story in mind of a child who loved a basically negative cat, but I couldn't end it. it, it I tried so many different things and, and they were all lousy. And eventually I just thought I'm going to have to give up. I'm going to have to give back my advance on this book. It's not happening. And then I read about something that was happening at... The, the first place I read about it was at the Berks County Animal Rescue League in Pennsylvania. And what was happening there was that kids were reading to the cats in the shelter. And it happened because one of the people who worked at the shelter had her own child who was, was not coming along with his reading in the way that he wanted. He was finding it frustrating. He was getting stuck and he was he was stopping even wanting to do it, which I think is a familiar experience for a lot of kids. And so she suggested he came in after school in the afternoon when she was working and sit down and practice his reading with cats. And the cats are completely non-judgmental and they would sidle up to him and he would read through these books and there were photographs that accompanied I think it was a blog post from the shelter that where I first read about it and they were just so endearing and and heart melting these pictures of children because then it grew to to be something that that many kids could do as an after school program children reading to cats and and you could just imagine what a rewarding experience that was and so that I suddenly had my ending for the book. This is how the, the, the cat redeems itself. And this is how the child overcomes his, um, his, his struggling with reading. And, uh, and since then, I visited other shelters and, and spent time in one that's closest to me in upstate New York um, and, uh, and, and, and hung out with the cats in the room. And um, it's a fantastic experience. I love that, Sophie. Honestly, I, I think that's why I really have enjoyed reading Negative Cat is because, well, on one hand, I feel like as, as an adult, as a parent of three kids and that like burning question of, 
can I have a pet? Can I have a pet? You know, whether it's a dog or a cat or a guinea pig or a rabbit. And so, you know, obviously that's how negative cat starts is the boy really, really, really wants his cat. So I feel like that's a relatable part of the story. And then you get that animal and maybe that animal doesn't have the personality that you think it's going to have. And it, you know, like the cat is just staring at the wall, you know, it's doing all of these kind of things that you wish it didn't. And, and I feel like anyone who's owned a pet can relate to that. And then the reading part, which obviously is close to my heart, just, it just seals the deal. So like, I'm, I love the way you found the ending for the story. And I just love the way that, it has this like multi appeal to so many. Why why so many different readers are gonna you know enjoy it? it oh, did such I a great hope job. so. And I think so. You know, some some books and stories are like that. Uh, they 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 come when they're ready. And I believe in that as a reader as well. I think we often find the books we're meant to read at the time we're meant to read them. And and sometimes you know one of my favorite books in the world is Moby Dick and. I had access to Moby Dick for my entire life, but I didn't read it until I was about 35. And before then I had just resisted it. And then I picked it up and it was such a joy. And, but clearly I wasn't ready for Moby Dick before then. So I think with, with kids too, just to, ah, to, 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 to try our best to give them access to books and however that happens. And there are many wonderful ways that that can happen, local libraries and mobile libraries and, and classroom libraries and, and having books around the house. And, and of course, some of us have more access to them than others. And, but there are so many people working around the world to make sure that, that that every child can have access to books or to do our best to, to make that happen. Um, that's very inspiring. Absolutely. The illustrations, which, you know, of course are incredible. I have to say, I feel like I, I, my favorites might be kind of unique in, obviously I love the cat scene where the cat is staring at the wall. I just find that hilarious. <laughs> And then this is totally random. I just, I loved that you included the little illustration of poop and the little bit of steam that's like coming off the poop. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm going to ask you as the artist, was there a particular spread that you enjoyed creating? I had so much fun with this book. It came on the heels of, of, a, of another book that took a very long time, which is called If You Come to Earth that came out last year. And I spent seven years on that book. And there was so much research in those illustrations. And it was a, it was a true labor of love. Whereas this, the, the story took a long time to, to finally, you know, bloom but uh, but the drawings were just joyful they were I just had so much fun with them and I think um I think that was uh that was just it was partly the timing it was partly the story matter but one of my favorite books as a kid picture books and another book that I loved sharing with my own kids was the the happy lion it's by Louise Fatio and and illustrated by Roger Duvoisin who's one of my favorites and I hadn't thought about it in a while and I looked at those drawings and the happy lion is kind of the opposite of the negative cat but I started going down this whole um, rabbit warren of, of finding old Duvoisin books on eBay and he was very much an, an inspiration for these drawings um, but I loved one of the things I loved doing was making up the kids drawings of cats and I uh, I was for a while I was begging any child near me, can you draw me a cat? <laughs> like, how do you draw a cat? And I put, um, uh, in, inspired by all of those kid drawings of cats, um, I made uh, I made a lot of the, the artwork that the child does in the book um, based on those drawings. And uh, in the end, all the kids who come to the shelter to read to cats, of course, fall in love with the cats and, and are begging their parents for their own cat um, in a sort of bookend way of, of how the story starts. And they're all drawing pictures of cats. And, and so that was probably the most fun for me to, to make up those because they're completely individual and they relate to each child the way that they would possibly draw their cat and there's one kid who's like really good at shading and he's drawn a cat with a with a biro pen and it's taken him a really long time and other kids have just dashed off their cat 
drawing with kids is something I miss so much uh, since since we've been unable to be gathering in that kind of way. And I look forward to that again, going to schools and, and doing art workshops with kids. Oh my gosh, I would love to be a kid in one of your workshops. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so the, I, I noticed, and you, you did the same for If You Come to Earth, uh, as you did with Negative Cat, where you posted it on Instagram, a piece of the artwork from the books. Um, and so for Negative Cat, there's a scene where it's a shelter scene where all the cats are in, in their crates. And there's little um, blank spot for what the cat's names are going to be. And you pose it to the community, your book loving community. Could you help me name these cats? And for if you come to earth, it was to name paint colors. I love that you do that, that you invite your readers in to help participate. And were you going to, um, when on the actual release day, you're going to announce which people, is that right? Who Whose names you picked for the cats? Correct. Yes. Um, and they were such great names and it was so hard to whittle it down to, um, I think I could only choose 17 of them and it was, uh, it was very, very difficult to whittle them down. Or 16, because Pookie is the is the name on the cage that uh that is the cat that is being adopted, and they rename the cat Maximilian Augustus Xavier, and we will call him Max. Uh, so then I had the other, the remaining cats to name, and and it was so difficult to whittle them down. And eventually I had to ask my whole family for help, and we we voted on them and <laughs> had short lists, and it was one of the most time-consuming parts of the whole book was naming these cats. Uh, so I look forward to making the grand announcement of, of which, which names were chosen. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, so obviously I said, I love that. I love that negative cat really sort of embraces my mission of growing readers and fostering that love of reading. And so I want to segue into the artwork that you've created for the Beatrice Prophecy by Kate DiCamillo. Um, mm. Because again, there is a reading theme and I just want to, I, I have to say, I am, I'm going to look at the book right now where I have it bookmarked. I'm about just over a third of the way through reading it. Mm. Um, and so it might be too soon to say, but I feel like this might be my favorite Kate DiCamillo book. I'm going to read the first little page here and it says, It is written in the Chronicles of Sorrowing that one day there will come a child who will unseat a king. The prophecy states that this child will be a girl. Because of this, the prophecy has long been ignored. And I just read that and I, I got, when I first read it, I was like, I'm going to love this book. Mm -hmm. And then Beatrice herself is a girl in times where girls are not supposed to read. Right. In times where really only noblemen are allowed to read. Yes. I know that, I, I, I believe this to be true from your illustration note that is in the back of the book, that you were, I, I believe you had your coat on and you were ready to walk out the door and, and this manuscript came in and you took off your coat and you sat down and you read. And so I'm, I'm wondering for you, what is what it was about the Beatrice Prophecy Besides the fact that it's written by Kate DiCamillo, uh, why, like, how did you know you needed to create the artwork for this book? Right. Well, even just what you read then gave me goosebumps and you read it very beautifully, but. Thank you. That was exactly what happened. I mean, I, I, I can well imagine I would have said, if, if somebody had sent me an email saying, would you like to illustrate a book by Kate DiCamillo? I would have said, yes, don't need to read it. Yep. Sure, absolutely. When I'll drop everything, let's do it because I am a huge fan. But I thought I will just begin to read this. I'm going to stand by the door with my coat on and my bag over my shoulder because I am running late and I have to step outside. And I'm just going to read the first few sentences. And and I 
and I got goosebumps and I stood there and I read and then I put my bag down and then I took my coat off and then I actually sat down on the couch that I very, very, very rarely sit down on because who has time to sit down on a couch? And um, and I read, I read the whole book. I cancelled my things I was going to do and I sat and read it, read it from, from beginning to end and and then pretty much wanted to read it again. It, it's it's the it's the kind of book that that you simultaneously feel you have always known somehow. It feels like an old story that is that is deep in your bones, and it feels like you are not really meeting these people for the first time, but but revisiting old friends. And and I. I just loved spending time in that world, even though it's a world in which lots of bad and dangerous and sad and troubling things happen. There is this light of hope and joy and 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 overcoming obstacles and um, and friendship and love and forgiveness and and all of these things that that Kate does so beautifully and mesmerizingly leaving us with this story that that really does feel like we've known it forever it was a joy yeah do you know what's funny is I as I'm reading and obviously because I write book reviews I take lots of little notes and and one of my notes is familiar yet fresh (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it's what you said you feel like you know these characters that you've read them before but yet the story is is new so yeah yeah because they're so vivid they're so incredibly vivid and with all of their flaws they're so each one is rich and memorable and layered and true and uh and I yeah I I I I want to I want to know them all especially Answelica the goat Oh my gosh. Yes. The goat, the goat is fab fabulous. Uh, like you'd want to meet and Swelica and wonder if she would consider you friend or foe. <laughs> yes. And it was so, so, so normally, as you know, an, an author and illustrator working on a book don't really work together when as illustrators, when we receive a manuscript from somebody else, we, uh, we deal with the, with the art director or the editor and we rarely have any communication with the author themselves, and uh, and that's that's sort of across the board, unless you have a prior relationship or unless you bring a project together to a publisher, and and there have been things that I've done like that, or or if you have a long working relationship with an with an author um, like Annie Barrows and I do with the Ivy and Bean series, where now we 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 whisper and talk in past notes in school. Um, but uh, but Kate and I had met uh, several times over the years. We didn't know each other very well, but but we both felt the great need to communicate early on, and it was so interesting that we had a very similar feeling of. This slightly dreamy sense that, in my case, that that this was a story I'd already or that I'd always known, and in her case, she felt like this, the drawings had had always existed. They came they came through one by one, and she would see them um, sent to her from the art director, and and she said it just was like each one was just sort of fitting a piece in to 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 make the full picture, which she felt had always existed it was just sort of placing the pieces and and that is such a gift to to have that response from her because it is such a it's such a beautiful story and I can't quite imagine writing a story and handing it over and then waiting for somebody else to make pictures to go with it and to this, it's such a leap of faith and it's so generous and there's so much trust there. And, um, and I can't, yeah, to, to, I can only imagine that they must come back most of the time looking a little different than how you imagined it in your head. So for them, for, for Kate to say they came out exactly as, as she had imagined, they might always be as just how they are. This is Beatrice. This is Answelica and Edic and Jack Dory and Kanek and all the characters um, was the highest possible compliment. 
That's incredible. Like how, how do you decide? So obviously with a picture book where every spread is illustrated in a novel like this one, you know, there's just scattered black and white illustrations throughout and then your glorious lettering at the beginning of each chapter. But how do you decide which, which parts are going to get illustrated of a novel? I always think about the person reading it and and try to try to channel what they want to see on the page. And sometimes it's a description of something. It's like, oh, I I really want to see what that looks like. Like the inside of Canuck's house, he lives inside a tree. And oh my goodness, of course you want to see what that house looks like. Or, or you want to see when a character is introduced, you, you want to see what they look like. But you also want to see these, these moments and and then the the beauty of of making pictures to go with a text that you love is they start to take on a life of their own and and they don't simply mirror the text they add something new and uh, I think that's the the best and happiest kind of illustrated text is where the the drawings and the words uh, support each other and complement each other and talk to one another but but also have their own story to tell. Okay, so we're talking a little bit about process here. So I feel like it's a perfect time. So I'm adding a new feature to the podcast today, and it's asking people from the book community to share the questions that they have. And we got a few for you, Sophie. And Hmm. so I want to share one from Ashley Reese. Hi, this question is for Sophie Blackall. She's one of my favorite illustrators, and I find her work very inspiring. I am really interested in her process and um, what that looks like from start to finish. I'd love to know about the mediums she uses and the things that inspire her along the way. Thank you. Wow, that's a, that's a great question, and we could talk for about three hours about that. And also, you have a lovely voice. It really depends on the book. And so I guess before that, see what I meant about it, we could have three hours. Sometimes it is if a manuscript comes to me that is that somebody else has written, then half the work is done. And then then I just have to I have to sort of see what the pictures are that form in my head and the best way possible to tell the story and do it justice and then the means to do that. So with a story like Beatrice, they were black and white illustrations and I started out with pencil and then I embraced procreate which I had never used before but it was during the pandemic there were um, complications with sending original art and things like that and and using procreate meant that I could do the entire book digitally and then press a button and have the art sent and I'm a very much hands-on person. I love the tactile experience of making art on on paper and using brushes in my hands. And uh, so this felt slightly like, oh, do I really want to do this? But I have to say I loved it, which doesn't mean I'm going to always do that. But I felt like it really worked for Beatrice. And it really just felt like drawing in pencil, but it it liberated me in in all sorts of ways. But with other books, my goodness, it just depends on what pops into my head and uh, and then the story that needs to be told. And for instance, the book that I have on my desk right now is called, its working title is Farmhouse, which was just what we always called it. And I think it is stuck. I think it's just going to be Farmhouse. But it's a story inspired by a falling down house on the land where uh, Milkwood is set and Milkwood is going to be a retreat for the children's book community for artists and writers and editors and librarians and teachers and anybody who cares, podcast people, anyone who cares and is interested in children's books. But on this land was a falling down house and it was built in the mid 19th century. It's a farmhouse. I did a little research and found out that 12 children had been born and raised in this house. And it was beyond salvaging, but before we, and it was really falling down, it was dangerous. So we had to finish, finish the, complete the falling down and tear it down. But before then I went in as many times as I could safely or not really all that safely do and salvaged 
wallpapers and fabric. There were 23 handmade dresses in a pile on the floor in the attic. There was sheet music and old school books that the kids had had. And with all of these materials, I started to piece together a story of what I imagined their lives might be like. And and then I wrote the story and then I had just these piles of ephemera and I thought they were the inspiration for the pictures. And then bit by bit, I realized they were going to have to be in the pictures. I wanted to actually use them. And so this book has become... Uh, quite collagey, which normally I don't do, but but I couldn't resist. The papers were so beautiful and the fabrics, and, and I thought I could redraw them, but they already exist. And, and I loved the idea that this book itself and the art that goes with it will be a, a, a tribute to the house and the lives and the lives of of of, of all people who, who have stories to tell and are lo- longer with us and, and leave remnants behind of their stories. And, uh, and, and so it's become this very, very tangible thing, like the complete opposite of working on Procreate on an, on an iPad with a digital pencil. Um, so, so that's a very long-winded way of saying my process changes with every project that, that crops up, which makes it very fun and very interesting and, and the tiniest bit chaotic. And I think that is the perfect answer from a true artist. <laughs> uh, well, I, since you just talked about Milkwood, and I'm so happy to hear that Milkwood will be the star of a picture book. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Obviously, um, you're you're rebuilding and bringing bringing new life to create this retreat for the children's book community. So t- tell us about it. Yes, it is something I have have dreamt about doing for years, and it's so thrilling to to be almost close to the point where we will be able to welcome people to to come and and share it. So it is being built in an old dairy farm in upstate New York in the Catskill Mountains. It's about three hours from New York City. And right now we are we are nearly finished and we're going to be spending the fall practicing everything and seeing what works and what doesn't and making sure there's enough hot water and that the um, the heat works and all of those things and to, to hopefully open in the spring. And when we open, we will be welcoming people for 10 or 12 people at a time for four day retreat stays. And they will be curated differently. So some will be workshops for people who would love to learn something about making books for children. Maybe they are interested in writing or illustrating and there'll be quite specific kinds of workshops that people can come and do. Or it will be a gathering place for peers. So people who are already making books, writers and and illustrators who would love to spend some time with their fellow book creators and don't get to do that as much as 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 they would like and to just be in the same space together is so it is so rewarding and many of us work in relative isolation but I am very fortunate in that I have a studio in Brooklyn that I share with other picture book authors and illustrators and that little community that we have is just it, it, it's incredible we we share our work we share the other things that happen in our lives too, the ups and downs. Um, we share physical resources, like, like we have a fantastic library, collective library of books um, and, and paints and papers. And we have lunch together and, and a lot of people have come to visit us and have said, this is so rare what you have here. And, and I would love to dip into something like that. So that's what we're hoping to offer at Milkwood, a, a version of that where people can come together to, to eat and drink and walk and talk and think and write and draw and come together in the evenings to sit around a long table and share a meal and talk and share ideas and talk about all different things in the in the children's book world that rapidly changing and and um, and all of those things is going to be so exciting. Well, I, that sounds like a book heaven to me. <laughs> so if, if like if there's anybody that's listening right now that wanted to find out more or be connected yes. or possibly like where would they fi- where would they find you and the information for it? Yes. So on Instagram we are Milkwood NY 
and we have a, a, a website badly in need of updating, which is milkwoodfarm.org. And on milkwoodfarm.org, there is a place to sign up for the newsletter, which will be coming shortly, which will have real facts about when we're opening and how to uh, how to book and, and all those kinds of uh, nuts and bolts. But yes, we're, we're very excited to welcome everyone to come. Yay. Okay. Well, it's on my wish list. So I'll be, I'll be looking for the right workshop. Um, so I have another question and um, this one is actually from a teacher in New South Wales, Australia, but here, I'll let her tell you that herself. Hi, Sophie. I'm a teacher in New South Wales. I really love inspiring my students to create and illustrate their own work what I'd love to know is what inspired you as a young child to actually begin creating? Where did you find the love of art? Isn't that a great oh, question? That's <laughs> a great question and so lovely to hear that that lovely, beautiful Australian voice. I, As I said a little bit earlier, I was very lucky to grow up with books. Um, had a single mum, grew up in South Australia, and she she read to us, took us to the library, always made sure we had books around. And because we grew up in the country, um, my brother and I spent a lot of time climbing trees and we took books with us and we would hang out. We'd make little platforms and trees and we'd hang out there kind of all day and we'd take snacks and we'd swap books. We even had a basket on a rope. and We'd swap books back and forth. But one of my favorite books at the time was Winnie the Pooh. And what I loved about it was apart from the, the the fantastic hilarious writing that made you feel like this book was written for you uh were E.H. Were e. Shepard's drawings and I used to trace them and we didn't have a whole lot of money and we didn't have access to lots of art supplies but I used to go to the butcher shop on my way home from school every afternoon and this was the late 70s so I was just allowed to walk on my own which kids don't do that much anymore but I would drop into the butcher shop and they knew me and they would roll up a couple of sheets of paper that they used to wrap the chops and sausages and give it to me for drawing paper and I used to trace drawings and I tell kids now that there's there's it's 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 only copying if you're pretending that they're that they're your own but if you're using it as a way of figuring out how somebody else has built a drawing, how they've connected lines. It can be one of the best, most useful tools when you're learning how to draw. But beyond that, it's it's really just looking at as many different kinds of books and art that you can be exposed to. And um, of course, we're so lucky to have access to basically everything in the world with the internet that we sure didn't have when I was a kid. Um, and, and teachers are so creative and my hat goes off to all of them who have worked through the last two years, which is surely the most challenging of, of all of our lives, but especially when you're trying to teach remotely. Uh, I just, I, it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible that you're all still standing and, uh, and all the, for the families as well, but to, to just be, just be encouraging and provide materials and, and and to have fun with it, you know, to to make sure it's always fun and and not a trial. And I, of my two kids, one of them loved to draw from the minute they could hold a pen, and one of them had absolutely no interest. Just it was like blood out of stone. And I was like, really? I have a child who doesn't want to draw, who finds art like the worst possible you know, trial and chore. That was a little bit heartbreaking, but um, but that's you know kids kids find their own their own joys and uh, and I guess it's our job to to step back, offer them all the things, and then step back and let them find the thing that uh, that brings them that joy. Sometimes easier said than done. Yes. Oh my gosh, I love that answer too. And and just as a, a child who was also uh, born and raised in Australia, just the mention of going to the butchers and the butcher paper, I just I brought back lots of memories. So I'm glad you <laughs> shared that. Okay. So if you loved hearing that Australian voice, you're going to love hearing this Australian voice. Now you've partly answered the question that's about to be asked, but 
it, this is such a sweet question that I, I just, I have to share it. And it's kind of a pot two-step question. And I think um, the second part of this question will be an answer that uh, a lot of people would love to know. So hmm. here we go. Hi, Sophie. I'm Erica and I'm 12 years old and I love sketching and drawing. I would love to know what inspired you to illustrate and know and how you think I could become an illustrator. Oh, I'm I'm weeping. (laughs) Oh, Erica, I was about 12 when I decided I wanted to be an illustrator. And um, I think if you heard before when I was talking about Winnie the Pooh and tracing E.A. Shepard's drawings and trying to figure out how, how he put so much character into those what seemed like just sketches, you know, they're just a few lines. And when you do trace something like that and you realize how simple the drawing is and yet how much personality is is in those small drawings, it's, it's it's magic really. But later on when I was about 12, my father subscribed to a magazine called The New Yorker and they had illustrated covers. Most magazines have photographs on the cover, but The New Yorker has drawings. And I cut off all the covers of his magazines. I didn't actually ask him, so he wasn't thrilled about this when he found out. But I put them all up on my wall as wallpaper and I would lie in bed and look at them and think, one day I want to do that. I want to make drawings for books and magazines and I want to go and live in New York and do it. Um, So I think part of you asked, how do you become an illustrator? I think part of how do you become anything is wanting it enough to do it over and over and over again until you get good at it and to find ways to make that part fun and not to give up if you feel like you're not doing it well enough or it's not turning out how how you want it to because I think that's another big part of being an illustrator or an artist is and I'm wondering whether you've ever had this experience a lot of us have but I do for sure which is you see the drawing you're about to make in your head and you see it so clearly and or the painting or whatever you're going to make and it's beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever done. And then you actually start to try and do it and it comes out totally differently. And when I was a kid and I would do this, I would just want to throw my pencil down and give up because the the drawing of the horse that I could see in my head with the galloping hooves and flowing mane came out looking like a like a weird donkey basically not anything against donkeys i love donkeys but uh, but how to there are two two different ways of going about this one you can keep drawing and drawing and drawing until you make it like the thing you see in your head or you can embrace the thing that comes out on the page that is slightly different to what you saw in your head but maybe is pretty cool and that's the direction that I decided to go in so I see something in my head it comes out quite differently on the page almost like I had nothing to do with it and I think huh well I guess that's the drawing that wants to that wants to come out and so I've embraced the way that I draw and I think that's a big thing for a lot of people and and challenging thing and I think that embracing the way that we draw ourselves makes our drawings more interesting because they're you and you can draw in a way that that no one else can. And so instead of trying to make your horse look like a photograph of a horse, which if anybody works hard enough, they can do, you can, and you may not even want to draw a horse, but I'm just using a horse as an example. You could draw your own Erica horse and that would be far more interesting. So that is my <laughs> advice to you. Uh, that's great. I I just want to thank Erica for that awesome question because I feel like, you know, from a 12-year-old, that's an, an excellent question, but it's a question that a lot of adults would like to know too. So thanks for asking it, Erica, because we all loved that answer from Sophie. Okay, so there's a question I ask everybody at the end of the podcast episodes, and it's, To be a writer, they say you need to be a reader first. Was there a pivotal moment in which you considered yourself a reader? You know, it's so interesting. We were talking, I was talking with a couple of uh, teachers the other day who teach reading to kids and they were talking about all the different methods and phonics and, and it kind of made my head spin and it suddenly occurred to me how many of us actually remember learning to read? And then I thought, do I even remember my own kids learning to read? 
And again, I think it differs very much whether you find reading challenging and whether it's a lot of work to make sense of it. And that that moment, that pivotal moment when you suddenly do make sense of it and the letters all form themselves into words and words that have meaning and words that tell stories, that, that comes more easily to some people than it does to others. And I guess I, I was one of the people for whom it comes easily. And partly I had an older brother who was already reading and I was just desperate to do everything that, that he wanted to do. And I think there have been lots of studies that show this is common with younger siblings, that they sometimes do things more quickly than the older ones because they just they just want to be in on the fun. And so for me that was I, I remember, I, I don't remember I remember learning my letters. I don't remember putting them together really. And I don't remember the moment where it all made sense, but I know how much I wanted it. And then I remembered the joy of being able to do it on my own. And, uh, and those books, I, I used to go to thrift stores and buy books with my pocket money. So I bought all sorts of really funny old fashioned kind of books. Um, but, but Winnie the Pooh was, I think that was the moment where I thought not only do I want to be a reader, but maybe I also want to be a writer because that story, it, it does, it breaks the fourth wall. It talks to you, the reader, and, and invites you into this world while also reminding you now and then that it is also a book and there's magic to that. Sophie, you are so wise and wonderful and worldly. And I have <laughs> loved this conversation and I have my fingers crossed that we'll get to do this again sometime in the future. Um, I would love that. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, Bianca. And thank you for doing what you do and bringing us all these different voices, telling stories and supporting reading, which is so wonderful and, and important. And um, and I hope we get to meet um, live and in person sometime. That would be wonderful. And preferably for me at Milkwood. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. To see which author or illustrator guests we have coming up and how you can ask them questions, keep a watch on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Our handle for both is the Children's book review the growing readers podcast is a production of the children's book review if you like this show remember you can hear it on apple podcasts spotify anchor or anywhere else you listen to podcasts subscribe to the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch if you're enjoying our book chats please leave us a review and while you're at it tell a friend to come and have a listen to discover more amazing books for kids just like sophie blackle's negative cat and The Beatrice Prophecy, written by Kate DiCamillo. I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.